Welcome to The Boldness. My name's Phineas Mead. Joining me in the studio, as he normally does, is Raphael Kaleb. Hello, Raphael. How are you doing, Phil? Very well. Now, before we get started, The Boldness is about not just waiting for some well-meaning person to give you your human rights, but demanding them. What have we got coming up on today's show, Raphael? Well, there was a big story about two people called Michael... Taylor called Tough Love. We're interviewing Jax Brown, writer, performer, disability queer activist. Fantastic. In fact, I'm going to say, I'm just going to make a prediction that uh, Jax is online right now. Hello, how are you doing? Very well. well. Now, uh, you'll probably want to tell us about your um, ill-fated trip. Uh, Use it. On a on a uh, well, it wasn't ill fated, but the the uh, <laughs> it, no, which is a very poor choice of words. But uh, but uh, sadly, your your trip was um your your trip on an aeroplane wasn't quite as uh, smooth as it could have been. No, no, and I think that's a common experience for people who um, have disabilities or use wheelchairs, particularly, is that you do everything you possibly can to. Uh, ring up and, and make the booking and make sure your access requirements are in the system and then you rock up at the airport and they don't have it in the system or they've got the total wrong thing in the system. Um, yeah, and my chair's been a bit battered and bruised on the flight and, um, yeah, they just they just failed to um, to do the, the basic things that I requested multiple times for them to do to enable me to have a smooth flight and to have the kind of... Um, you know, equal opportunity and equal experience that other people have when they have um, airline flights. And I think I think we should start at YouTube or we should start a hashtag or we should do some kind of social media campaign about the kinds of experiences people with disabilities have when they try and fly because so many of our friends, as you know, Finn, have, all, have had these similar experiences as well where we, um, you know, our chairs just get thrown about, our access requirements aren't even... Um, in the system, and yeah, we just get treated like second-class citizens, even though we're paying the same as everyone else to um, fly. Yes, it is. A, it is a very common experience, and we'll, mm. we'll get back to your. Uh, we'll get back to the reason for your trip uh, later in the interview. But but uh, we got you on initially to uh, talk about the Australian story, which uh, mm. Raphael alluded to before. Uh, and this was a this was a couple. For those that didn't see it, this was a couple Taylor and Michael who had uh, Down Down syndrome, and uh, they were they were expressing their desire to uh, have have children and get married and everything like that. But the parents saw it from a different angle, and I suppose that was the um, that was the sort of 
the narrative of the sh- show. What, 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 what do you, what did you, what was your take on the show? Well, I mean, I found it really interesting in regard to the weighting of the show. So both sets of parents on both sides were given two-thirds of the airtime of the half-an-hour show and the couple and their perspective of their relationship and their desire to have intimacy and their desire to get married um, was kind of given a third of the time. So the weighting of the show was definitely more towards the parents' experience and the parents' concerns for their young adult um, offspring. And I also thought it was kind of troubling that they're both in their 20s. Like, they're... They're, they're young people, but they're not super young. They're, they're in their 20s. Most young 20-year-olds who are in a relationship are, you know, seeing each other more than once a month, which was the um, amount of time that was allowed by their parents to see each other. They were allowed to go on dates, but they definitely weren't allowed any sleepovers or any sexual intimacy um, by both sets of their parents. And I think it just speaks to... The entrenched ableism, the entrenched discrimination against people with disabilities, particularly when we want to have relationships and be sexually intimate with each other and also have children. Like, I think it's a perfectly fabulous and reasonable goal for this young couple that's in love that have been dating each other for two years to want to move out together, to want to get married and to want to have kids. And the fact that both sets of parents are blocking this and there's been multiple uh, arguments online by commentators and also um, articles in the media saying, you know, that this shouldn't happen. The fact that people think it's their place to comment um, and to, um, to to actively control the choices of people with disabilities, particularly in the area of reproductive rights, um, speaks to the entrenched ableism in this society around people with disabilities wanting to have the same kind of life goals that everyone else takes for granted. I mean, there was a previous um, Australian Story episode about this couple a few years earlier where they'd gone to the prong together and it you know, had been this great um, social media story about this couple in love and wasn't it fabulous that they loved each other and they were dancing together. And that was all deemed fine by the able-bodied public. But as soon as they now express their desire to have babies, and to have an intimate relationship, well, that's too far. So people with disabilities are all cute and cuddly when they're, you know, dancing together. But as soon as they want to dance under the covers, then that's a problem, according to able-bodied society. Why do you think that is? Because people, because people are really, really deeply ableist. They don't want people with disabilities to breed because they have this fear that we're going to have disabled children and. That, that is based in the idea that people with disabilities are less than able-bodied people and how dare we lead full and complex um, and interesting lives and demand the same rights as everyone else. It's to do with entrenched stigma and entrenched discrimination around the ideas that society holds. Jack? Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, Jax, yeah. Um, given that um, a lot of marriages do break up in society anyway... Mm-hmm. Could this be a case that the parents um, may be being a little bit overprotective of it? Yeah, look, I think they're being overprotective in a number of ways. They're being overprotective in the amount of time that the young people can spend together. They're being overprotective in the, the kind of things that they can do together um, and they're, they're definitely their sexual intimacy. Look, I think it is a thing that now that we have um, more equality in society um, in terms of when people are able to end relationships and how that happens, 
that yes, of course, relationships can end. But that isn't an argument to say that this couple can't have the kind of relationship that they want and can't get married. Um, yeah, like I think for me as a queer person who can't get married, uh, marriage is a, is a really contentious issue and I want the rights for all people to be able to make that choice um, and to be able to make an array of choices and, and to change their mind and to leave relationships or begin relationships however we want to. Oh, Jack says that maybe in society we could actually do with the uh, word, take the word away out of, uh, like take the word marriage away and come up with a new word for people that were actually in a relationship who lived together instead with the same meanings. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think marriage holds a whole set of cultural connotations um, that it's, it's an interesting argument to say that we can take it away because then it actually denies people uh, access to a thing that has meant a lot to a a bunch of people throughout history and continues to mean a lot culturally in terms of, you know, being able to have um, to have access to an institution and to have access to the law and to be able to aspire to the kind of dreams um, and aspirations of everyone else. So while I'm critical of, of the history of marriage and the churches and the Catholic churches particularly role in that, I also want to have access to that and have, um, have a quality of access to that like everyone else. Now, with Michael and Taylor, mm-hmm. would one of the uh, concerns might be, okay, how are two people with a disability going to be able to stay married and mm-hmm. be able to look after themselves? Mm-hmm. Would that be could be a possible concern why there might be objections to persons' uh, marriage? Yeah, look, I think it's interesting that in the show and also in a lot of the commentary about this um, relationship, there's been no mention of the NDIS as being a possible um, solution to some of these concerns in that um, that the NDIS is supposed to support the goals of people with disabilities. And clearly one of these big goals for this couple is to move in together, get married and possibly have kids. So we need to think about the ways in which the government can fund that and it definitely is the government's role to fund that and to ensure people with disabilities have equality and rights um, to allow them to live full and rich and equal lives with everyone else. Um, so I, I think that it's interesting to me that they didn't mention um, that as a future funding possibility to enable them to actually achieve these goals. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what I was really alluding to, mm-hmm. uh, was the National Disability Insurance mm-hmm. Scheme. I thought that one that overall aims of it was to enhance people's lives, to, mm-hmm. to stay independent, to have a comfortable role with social role valorisation to become valued members of society mm. and by actually discluding people and it not being raised on an actual story previously, it really, really does surprise me. I'm very much with you with that one, Jax. Mm. Yeah, I know, I know. And it's, it's interesting that they didn't talk about the lack of services in these young people's lives and how, as families, they can support these young people to actually move towards these goals of independence? What kind of things can they start to put into place so that they can develop the skills to actually move out, to actually start a family? And one thing that was really clear to me was that particularly Michael hadn't had the kind of um, conversations to do with language and planning around how to discuss these issues publicly. And part of that was because his parents didn't really want him to do it and didn't really want him to talk about how he was actually going to achieve these steps. Um, 
and so they they had their voice be really dominant and articulate in in their concerns and their opposition to him in doing that, and didn't provide him with the kind of um, step by step things that they would need to do in their relationship to ensure that they had the adequate support. And look, I, I think I think it is a challenge to think about the the complex nature of this and the ways in which we can get a variety of different kind of services in people's lives to enable them to parent and parent effectively with supports. Now, I said there is a saying that it takes two people uh, to become parents, mm. and it takes a whole community to bring up the children. Mm. Now, I would like to like I wonder how this would actually apply in this um, case. Yeah, like I think none of us, none of us parent alone. Whether we have disabilities or not, we always have family members or friends or community members that are engaged in our lives that kind of help us develop the skills and go through the really tough issues that that are involved in raising a, a little baby and you know the sleepless nights and learning how to change nappies and all those kind of things. Um, but I think when we talk about the possible additional supports that people with disabilities might need. Um, then it, then it becomes this question of, well, should they even be allowed to do that and how are they going to do that? And we really need to think about the, the step-by-step ways in which this can kind of start to be achieved and how it is a human right to, to have these goals and to, to want to be a parent. And I also think from a woman's perspective, it's interesting that if a, if a woman acquires disability or has a disability in, in a relationship, um, the judgments made on her and the... Um, the level of, of risk of having her child removed from her because of her perceived um, lack of adequate parenting is far higher than if a man with a disability acquires a disability or has a disability um, in a relationship where he has children. So there's a, there's a gendered um, nature to the way in which parenting and disability is perceived and the kind of services that are provided as well. It's assumed that if you're a woman, you should be able to do everything unsupported and there shouldn't be services for you. Um, but if you're a man with a disability, well, then, of course, you're going to kind of need more services. And the evidence shows that men with disabilities are more likely to be receiving an array of services in their lives compared to women. So, I mean, I think there's this, this case really highlights a number of um, gendered assumptions, also disability assumptions, and, um, yeah, a number of human rights um, issues that are highlighted in it as well. Our guest tonight is Jackie Brown, who is a queer and disability activist. Now, how could the ABC have done the show better? Oh, look, (laughs) I think they could have given more airtime for the couple. They could have had uh, more disability advocates in there on the show they had one woman but she was given very little time um and she was um positioned as kind of sympathetic to the parents concerns as opposed to advocating on behalf of this young couple so they could have had um, more of the couple's voice but also more of um an array of people with disabilities and advocates that are working um in the disability human rights space actually talking about this from a human rights issue so um, now, just moving slightly to the to the left, um, mm-hmm. just one um, you you we've been talking obviously about people's human rights and how people need to be supported to to live good and independent lives. But uh, in South, your recent trip to to 
uh, South Australia, where they're currently debating the uh, a voluntary euthanasia bill. You went over to protest. Um, how did mm. that all go? Yeah, look, we're hopeful that it went well. I mean, they've they've done some amendments to the bill today, and they've actually withdrawn the previous bill and and um, are tabling a new bill tomorrow um, with some of the amendments that um, disability advocates have um, suggested and, and highlighted our concerns about. So I don't think the trip was wasted. I am trepidatious uh, about the fact that I think the bill is probably going to pass. And uh, my concerns about that is what does it mean for, for people with disabilities who often, you know, are presumed to have a less quality of life um, and the medical profession um, puts do not resuscitate orders on people's wrists when they go into hospital. It really leaves us open to um, being vulnerable to abuses and being vulnerable to actually being off under this legislation. And I'm really concerned that it puts um, young people with disabilities who may be struggling with what their disability identity means and also people with newly acquired disabilities who are going through times of grief um, that could request this this um, this legislation and actually um, commit suicide under it, and it would just reinforce this notion that people with disabilities are better off dead than disabled. Um, I, and sorry. and so, as a marginalised community, I think we're we're really at great great risk um, if this comes into law in South Australia and also with the proposed bill in Victoria as well. Is I mean, it's a. I guess it's a tough one because, on the surface of it, everyone wants people with disability. Everyone wants people to be able to um, end their life in a, in a manner where they're not suffering. But, but to be, but it's how you define suffering. I guess is the, is the is the sticking point. Yeah, yeah, it really is, and and I think. Um, when people think about this bill and when people think about euthanasia, they think about that that person or relative or friend or loved one that they've known that has died of cancer and that has been in a lot of pain. And they think about that person and they think, well, of course, I don't want people like that to suffer. That's terrible. And we don't want people like that to suffer either. But part of this part of this discussion has to be around people with disabilities and the increased risk we have um, to being coerced into um, suicide or having the medical profession um, make decisions about um, our end of life and that, that we should pass away. Um, and so um, it's, it's a difficult discussion to have and, and I don't think it's disability rights activists that are pitting ourselves against the rights of um, people at end of life and people in pain, particularly because of cancer and, and other kind of... Um, other kind of medical conditions but I think our voices are not being heard and um, our concerns are kind of um, not being given adequate adequate responses and and I'm really concerned that we're going to be the collateral damage that the disability um, community is going to be the collateral damage in getting this legislation through um, and people aren't aren't thinking about that and aren't thinking about the ramifications of that. And we know that in overseas where this type of legislation has been passed, that often um, it gets broadened out over time. So it starts to become more broad um, in terms of what it means and who qualifies under it. 
Now, Jax, um, with some of those proposed amendments, mm. or actual amendments, would it be one of those amendments that people with a disability were exempt from this legislation? Yeah, so it says a people with disabil- uh, disability, however defined. So who who defines that? But then it follows on to say that people with a medical condition can apply. And as we know, disability is a medical condition. It arises from a medical condition. So disability is still in there. Um, it, it's you can still apply under under having an impairment. So it doesn't it doesn't exclude people with disabilities. Um, so yeah, we're still concerned about that, and we're still concerned about the definition of suffering. Who defines what suffering is? How do we how do we define that? Um, and there was a case in Belgium uh, earlier in the year where a, a young gay man who felt terrible about being gay and couldn't live with his own internalised homophobia and also the stigma that he um, was experiencing requested assisted suicide. Um, And so as an LGBTI activist and as someone who's queer, I'm really concerned about the, the reasons that people are socially discriminated against and the pressure of that um, being some reasons why people would request this legislation and be more vulnerable um, to dying under it. Now, is it, let's um, have a think about, I know that you mentioned that you caught a plane to South Australia mm-hmm. and what were, like, what were some of these experiences because, about on the actual plane? Yeah, look, I mean, I think I covered it a little bit before, but I mean, it's just around the ways in which um, airlines really don't um, take disability access requirements seriously. They don't include them in the actual system, even if you ring up multiple times like I did and said these are the kind of access requirements I have to board the plane. Um, do you have them in the system? Yes, we do. And then I rock up at the airport and something entirely different is written down. Um, it's also around people not respecting your wheelchair as a vital part of who you are and a vital part of how you move through the world. Um, I've got you know friends that travelled with me as well and they've come home with, with wheelchairs with broken parts. Um, and I think it's, it's about that baggage handlers and the airlines just view it as a piece of equipment and just view you as a kind of tick box and your access requirements don't really matter. Um, and I think when we're paying for a service, uh, like everyone else, we, we deserve to, to be treated well and we deserve our equipment, which is essential to our mobility in our lives, to be treated with respect um, and to not be returned to us broken. I feel like I've been on a uh, tr- trip with that qu- question myself. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, just going on to something which is... Uh, well, it's not very pleasant. In fact, it's it's tragic, really. The the mm. the um the f- the four people uh, m- murdered uh, or involved in a murder suicide. It's thought um, in New South Wales. Now, I'm not particularly interested in uh, spec sort of going into mm. uh, creating f- further speculation. However, uh, it is it is. It is out there that the children were autistic, and a lot mm-hmm. of people are excusing the, excusing the the um, ex, ex, excusing the murder suicide because uh, because the because the people were um, 
autistic and non-verbal. Um, mm. What 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 are your what are your thoughts what are your thoughts about that? Is is that justified? No, <laughs> no, in a word. <laughs> and I, ha- I had my dear mother call me early yesterday morning and um, say, "Good morning. Have you heard about what happened?" And I said, "Well, yeah. Um, we only we only knew kind of bare facts at that point." Um, and she said, "Oh, you can totally understand it. Like as a parent, I can totally understand why they did what they did." Um, and Look, that that really shocked me. This whole um, siding with the parents and siding with the parents in this really kind of ableist ableist way, as in people with disabilities don't really deserve to be here. We can understand when they're kind of knocked off. And I think we need to talk about what that actually says to people with disabilities about our lives being less, um, and what it says when we hear those kind of messages from people really close to us. We need to talk about the kind of supports and services that clearly weren't in those in that family's lives. And that's a massive issue and that's a massive political issue that we should hold our governments and our services accountable for. It's not an individual issue of a family, um, you know, just overwhelmed and unable to cope because they have these horrible, terrible children that are too demanding. It's a systemic issue that we need to address. And we need to bring it back to the ways in which disability is perceived by society um, and the entrenched ableism within that. And we need to call our governments and our services accountable and actually fund people um, to have the services in place that they need to actually live interesting and full lives instead of um, excusing, (laughs) excusing the murder of disabled people. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole situation, obviously... It's pretty uncomfortably with me, but I mean to to be able to. I mean, it's it's terribly disheartening to hear that people saying, "Well, that's justified because people these people are disabled." Hmm. The thought being, "Well, these are lesser people anyway, so it's okay that they're uh, okay that someone's decided to uh, knock them off to use a colloquialism." Mm, they're better off dead than disabled. That, that's, kill them. That's right. So we've kind <laughs> yeah. of we've almost come full circle here, except mm. uh, except for except for um, lo- except for uh, love and marriage. Um, <laughs> uh, um, so, um, any final thoughts, Jax, before we? Oh, look. I mean, there's a lot of doom and gloom, and there's a, a long way we've got to go in a, in a lot of areas in our struggle for rights and equality. Um, but I guess the thing that kind of sustains me through all of this is the amazing disability community that I've found in Melbourne. Um, and you're definitely one of those people, Finn. No. Um, and, and the people that, that, that share this perspective and share this struggle and share this, this fight. So um, I'd say to anyone out there who's feeling really overwhelmed and alone today that you are not alone. Uh, people are out there and we're all um, living full and rich and messy lives and trying to um, do our best to, to move this fight forward and to kind of get our rights. So let's all connect together and, um, yeah, unite and try and change things. Fantastic, Jax. Well, thank you very much for joining us this evening. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Finn. No worries. That was Jackie Brown, disability and queer activist. Anything you want to say very quickly, Raphael? Yep. um, We'll be back on the 16th of November, and we're going out with a song dedicated to Michael and Taylor from Tough Love, a song called 
couldn't have loved you more by Ella Hooper. Fantastic ex-killing hottie. I I gave you so many 